Good cross in. Evan White, brilliant finish. And here's the danger. Sam Kerr is away. Is this to be her moment? Miedemar. And Vivian Miedemar scores again. Welcome to Football 51, with everything you need to know about the football played by 51% of the population, women. Storm Dennis may have brought much of the women's football to a halt this weekend, but we've still got WSL and FA Cup analysis to blow you away. We'll also be chatting about mental health and menstrual cycles. That's all going up on this episode of Football 51. Football 51 is back this week after a week off. Storm, Kira, Kiara. I heard Sierra, Ooh. which was a nice little early noughties uh, pop throwback for those sort of listeners who know what that is. But... I love it. Storm Sierra will go for. <laughs> that called off all of the WSL games. But luckily, last week, the WSL was mid-week action. So it avoided Storm Dennis, mm-hmm. which we've just had. Yeah, Storm Dennis really took a toll on some of the games this weekend, but some of the midweek games were still allowed to go ahead, including this one. Davishide chases onto this, she's got good pace and she's used it brilliantly. Oh, how good was that from Rinsola Davishide? Good passing here by Arsenal, Miedemar's waiting in the middle, knobs with a cross to try and find her, and she did, and Miedemar, as usual, did the rest. Just kept in by Evans, and Knobs is there! Arsenal have turned it all around, and so quickly too. Cross Gabor. Fantastic cross. And guess who was there to finish it off? Just when Arsenal really needed a goal. Step forward. Vivian Miedemar. Who else? Yes, that's right. Arsenal managed to get their faltering title challenge back underway with a tight, topsy turvy, upside down, all over the place 3 2 victory over Liverpool. It was a big result for Arsenal after losing back-to-back to Chelsea and Manchester City. Viviana Miedema was back on the score sheet for the first time in 2020, getting her 15th and 16th goals of the season. Um, it was an interesting game in the sense that Arsenal chose to uh, go and attack Liverpool from the wide areas rather than going through the middle, like they had done in previous games against Chelsea and Man City, as we mentioned before. And it really works because obviously Viviana Miedema, as well as being amazing with her feet, is also a tremendous threat in the air. And that really caused Liverpool a problem that they just couldn't handle. It's crazy, isn't it, though, that Liverpool managed to score the first goal and they're actually bottom of the WSL table? It certainly was a shock start. Um, they took the lead through Rinsola Babajide, as you heard in the highlights package there. Arsenal will be disappointed with the fact that the long ball over, well, not even over the top, sort of straight through the defence was allowed to split them open so easily. But her first goal of the season, we've given her a little bit of stick on this podcast in the mm. past, but she's done quite well to lead the Liverpool line at times this season. And that's an important goal, and hopefully it'll be the first of many for her this season. Yeah, hopefully. And it was an interesting midfield for Arsenal, wasn't it? It was indeed. Um, They opted to put Leah Williamson in the centre of the park after Kim Little was ruled out with injury. She's had surgery on that, so she's going to be out for a little while. Hopefully she'll be back for the Olympics in the summer. Oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But um, it meant that Leah Williamson was allowed to move back into midfield. She started her career there. 
as a defence midfielder, but she moved back into the back line. I think once Joe Montemiro came, I think that was a Montemiro innovation. But um, she's not spent much time in midfield recently, but it could be a really interesting thing for England and the Lionesses. The fact that she's so versatile, can play midfield, at the back, it could be really useful. you also got Millie Bright who can operate in both positions as well. So for the She Believes Cup, which is coming up next month, it could be an interesting thing to see how Phil Neville chooses to deploy those English centre-backs that we've got. Yeah, and look out on social media for our predicted Lionesses squad for the She Believes Cup. The official announcement is on is on Tuesday, so tell us what you think of our prediction. Also, there was news in the Arsenal camp in that new signing Catelyn Ford joined Arsenal for training for the first time. She has been in Australia with the Olympic qualifiers, but she's only just come back to the UK now. Um, it's a big signing for Arsenal, and fingers crossed it will work out well for them. They need all the help they can get, to be honest, now that the title race is out of their hands. So any extra boost will be good fun for them. Yeah, for sure. It's actually quite cool because Australia have just had it announced that they're going to be playing the US women's team um, in April and then two more games in 2021. So Catelyn Ford will be excited for that one. But it was two North London clubs this uh, last week that actually made tough work for themselves in the midweek fixtures. Spurs had to fight back from 2-0 down. They were playing Everton. So these are kind of mid-table teams, but Everton should be higher than Spurs, really. Everton won their only ever meeting between the two sides, 3-1 in November. So two goals for Everton. First one from Chloe Kelly, who is really on fire this season. Potential for Lionesses. Potential. We keep teasing it. Yeah, potential. I think she's the fourth top goal scorer in the WSL, which for an Everton side is quite impressive. Very. Um, Then Kagman scored, 57th minute. That was actually from an error from Becky Spencer, the Spurs goalkeeper. She just threw the ball out to the Everton attack. But then it was a real comeback for Spurs. Addison came on and she was really transformed the attack up front. She scored a header, even though she's actually quite short. Yeah, I noticed that when we went to go see her. She's absolutely tiny, isn't she? Yeah, she she really is. But she just got in there. The ball was perfectly placed. She, She just nudged it into the left corner. Fair enough. And then... My goodness, the goal from Emma Mitchell. It was a free kick, about 30 30 yards out maybe, and she just lined up to take it, just ignored all the players in front of her (laughs) and fired it into the top right-hand corner. It was honestly, if you haven't seen it, it's an absolute beauty. Emma Mitchell has been on fire ever since she went on loan to Spurs from Arsenal in the winter break. So... That, she's been incredible. Yeah, really, an really impressive. absolute worldie, which was made probably even more sweet by what had happened just before it. Yes, exactly. Rosella Ayan was given a red card in the 77th minute. It was a two-footed challenge. She sort of was pushed over by one of the Everton players, got a bit frustrated and then came in and clattered down the Everton player. So red card there for Rosella Ayan. It was actually quite interesting the way that Everton forced Spurs to play. So Everton played with a very high press. So they forced Spurs deep and Spurs really struggled to get the ball out to their midfield and forwards. Mm. They were just sort of, because the press was so high and they were under so much pressure, they were just, Spurs were firing these balls out and they weren't directing them to players specifically. They were inaccurate passes. So they they really put Spurs under pressure. Um, also, in Everton's defence, Dan Turner was amazing. She was really stopping Ashley Neville every time she tried to go up up the pitch. You mentioned Ashley Neville there. She was an important part of actually Spurs managing to break that Everton press, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. I mean, it was a really depressing first 15 minutes for, for Spurs because 
they really didn't get any time near the goal at all. And then suddenly Ashley Neville decided, right, it's my responsibility. And she just dribbled the ball all the way up from the back to the front, which we've seen her do numerous times this season. And she was she was really good at it. And I think that sort of made Spurs think, hang on a second, we need to sit a bit higher. We've got very, very deep. And it really did change their structure a little bit. I would say that some of her passes weren't wholly accurate, but she did kind of change that momentum for Everton, for sure. Hi, I'm Kim Little, and this is Football 51. I was wearing the WSL life after Nick Cushing got off to a pretty swell start for Manchester City. They managed to win the game 1-0 against Bristol City. And within two minutes, they were in front, weren't they, Sophie? Yes. Gemma Bonner, what a strike. She put a tweet up saying, I don't think I'll ever have a better first touch than this. <laughs> she kind of, The ball comes in from Caroline Weir, loops over into her, and she sort of... I was trying to figure out the motion she's done. It's kind of like, you know when people do that salmon thing? You know when they pretend to be a salmon when they jump off the boat? Yes. Yeah, it kind of looks a bit like that, which is which is a bit weird. Right. But she sort of lies back and then catches the ball I think with her left foot and then it flicks into the right hand corner of the net it's a very low bicycle kick I'd yeah, potentially say yeah that's probably better than a salmon <laughs> <laughs> it's all about it's all about the metaphors it's all about describing it visualising it in people's heads but um, interesting for Man City that they managed to win the game without Nick Cushing for the first time we focused quite heavily on it on our last episode with all the fact that Nick Cushing has gone off now to New York City FC to be the assistant manager to Ronnie Daler out there their interim coach is Alan Marne, and it's interesting that City have waited so long to announce any permanent appointment as Nick Cushing's replacement. What's the time frame looking like for Alan Marne continuing as interim manager at City? He's definitely said that he doesn't want to do it as a permanent role, but I'm not sure how long it will take, okay. if I'm honest. Um, but I mean, Man City are doing very well. They've broke the record for the most successive home wins now, with 11 in a row. And so that's that's very impressive. Uh, the other Manchester team were in action in the WSL. Man United against Brighton. This was one all in the end. It was actually an own goal from the Brighton keeper, Megan Walsh, uh, which Lauren, it looked like it was going to be the best goal. Lauren James scoring in 15 seconds, <laughs> you know, the fastest goal of the WSL. But then it came off the keeper, so it kind of... Didn't really count. Eileen Whelan got the goal back for Brighton. We were talking about her last episode a bit. But actually, Brighton probably would have been a bit miffed not to win that game. Yeah, you mentioned the calamity that was Megan Walsh very early on in the game. But the real hero on the other side of the pitch was Mary Earps in goal for Manchester United, wasn't she? Making countless fantastic saves as the Seagulls tried to get that late winner in this massive mid-table clash. Yeah, for sure. Mary Upps was very key and also another Lionesses contender. Another Lionesses contender. Keep an eye out on our socials for that, guys. Talking of Lionesses contenders, Chelsea, they won 2-0 against Birmingham. Guru Wrighton and Beth England scored. And so now Beth England has scored 13 WSL goals. She's only three behind Viviana Miedemar. And I remember at the beginning of the season, everyone's going, Miedemar, that's amazing. She scored however many goals. But Beth England's up there. Well, we ourselves were joking in the first ever episode of this podcast about how Viviana Miedemar had scored double the amount of any other player in the in the WSL. That was 14 for her, and I think it was seven for Beth England. Mm. We're only, what, three more games, three, four games down the line now, and the gap between the two has dramatically decreased from seven goals in between them to now three. And Viviana Miedemar's still scoring goals, so you have to really wonder... In that golden boot race, who is the favourite? I probably still just about 
just about back Miedemar, just because she's got all the goals in the bank and she is playing in an Arsenal side that have easier fixtures. Obviously, there's no easy games in the WSL, but... I would say Beth. Really? Because, to be honest, I think she has more competition for the position. Okay. You know, she, she, she has Sam Kerr coming in. She's had to fend that off. She has really, really... Like, Chelsea really pride themselves in their strength and depth. So I think Beth England has to fight harder, whereas Arsenal really rely on Miedemar and she knows she's always going to get a spot even if she doesn't train. Sure, but would you not say that the whole team is built around Viviana Miedemar at Arsenal and trying to get the best out of her? So in a way that it's not with Bethany England, she Bethany England fits Chelsea's tactical mould, whereas Arsenal's tactical mould fits Viviana Miedemar, if that makes sense. That's a very good point. But I still think England edges it. Okay, we'll have to agree to disagree there. Um, There wasn't any disagreements about the final score at Reading West Ham, a 2-0 victory for the Royals. They are now up into fourth. Brooke Chaplin marking her contract extension this week with a goal, the second of the game. It could have been even more, though, for Reading, who had 11 shots to West Ham's one on the day. Things Things are looking pretty bleak for Matt Beard's side. They are right now not doing too well in the WSL. They are all the way down in eighth which when you think about when we started the podcast what was it five weeks ago now it's a real fall from grace for them because they have brought in so many players I know we've spoken about West Ham loads they brought in so many players they've got so much investment and you really think they should be doing better than what they are they're on a horrible run one win in five it's really not good enough for a side that should be challenging for that fourth place best of the rest spot we've spoken about so much before Elsewhere in the women's game, despite a severely weather-hit weekend, there was some FA Cup ties that went ahead. No fairy tale for Maddie Biggs in Ipswich Town. The 16-year-old had scored three goals to take her team to the last 16 of the FA Cup. Her team, of course, being Ipswich Town, who went up against the might of Manchester City and it did not end well for them. A 10-0 victory for City on the day. Hat-tricks from Paulina Bremer, Georgia Stanway, and Jess Park, who herself is only 18 years old, so a really good day all round for the youngsters out there. But you still think, probably for Maddie Biggs, that bigger clubs are going to come calling. Um, there was another game that went ahead in the FA Cup this weekend. Yeah, just quickly about the Man City-Ipswich thing. Having a t- Tier 4 team against the top of Tier 1, it just shows how much gap there is in women's football. You've got Man City, who are professional, who train all the time, and Tier 4 are completely amateur. There's no way they're going to be able to compete. I think they need to put more money in the women's game. That's the magic of the FA Cup, though. No. Anything can happen. No, I don't agree. Well, I guess not. Okay, no magic in this studio, as far as Sophie's concerned. But, again, there wasn't any magic in the other game. There were no shock upsets as Birmingham City took on Sunderland. Yes. Much closer affair this time. Third-tier Sunderland were knocked out by WSL Birmingham City, who came through as 1-0 winners on the day. They went down to uh, 10, didn't they? They had a red card quite late on in the game, just after they took the lead, Birmingham. But they will be in the draw, which is going on Monday night. I think we're recording just before it's happened, so we can't give any reaction to what's going to happen there. But it's very difficult to predict the FA Cup, given that there's been so much delays and postponements all because of this weather. Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, this game was interesting because Lucy Sanford scored that goal in the 85th minute, that mm. free kick. And then she went to celebrate. She ran up to the other end of the pitch to celebrate in front of a spectator who people say had been kind of goading her throughout the game. Oh, really? So then she got the red card for that. The spectator got removed. So they had eight minutes of added time because they had to wait for the spectator to be removed. 
And so, you know, Birmingham City did win, but Sunderland caused problems. And Sunderland are a really interesting team because they've actually gone, they had gone 20 games unbeaten and they don't deserve to be where they are. You know, they, they produced eight England players, Lucy Bronze, Steph Horton, Beth Mead, Jordan Nobbs, Jill Scott, Lucy Staniford, Demi Stokes, Carly Telford. They've all come from Sunderland, but Sunderland didn't have enough money to make their way into the top of the WSL. So they got replaced by Man City. Right. So, you know, they were they were they they were in the first tier from 2015 to 2017. They won the second tier for four seasons. But now they happen to be in the third tier. So they're a bit of an anomaly and they're really pushing to go up because they deserve it. They just don't have the money. Unfortunately for them, they won't be able to take part in the next round of the FA Cup. We don't actually know who's going to be going through to join Birmingham City and Manchester City. All those replay games are going to be taking place at some point this week. We'll have to wait to find out who joins them. Now it's time for our Player of the Week. I've gone for Beth England just because she keeps on scoring for Chelsea. I rate her above Viviana Meanwhile, as we've already discussed. (laughs) And it's another Lioness teaser. Who knows? Will she be the number one striker over Ellen White? Well, I see your Beth England and I raise you to Viviana Miedemar, who got two goals this week. She is, for me, the better striker of the two, but I'm getting the feeling that we're going to have that conversation a lot over the next few weeks. She's my player of the week. Fantastic for her. Big win for Arsenal. And she always delivers in the big moments. My moment of the week was Gemma Bonner's Bonner's first touch for City. The salmon, the sensational salmon, I'm going to call it. (laughs) I think it was just brilliant, you know. Second minute, did the job, brilliant. Fair enough. Well, we might have some disagreement over whether it was a salmon or a bicycle kick, but when it comes to free kicks, we can both agree that Emma Mitchell's was the best of the week. Hers, fantastic. That's my moment of the week. Her equaliser for Spurs against Everton. Massive result for Spurs as they keep up the pressure for that fourth position. So while there wasn't much football taking place in the women's game over this weekend, one thing that definitely did occur of both the men's and women's game was the Heads Up initiative, which was taking place this weekend. The Heads Up initiative uh, focuses on mental health within football and wants to try and kickstart a conversation about mental health and try and reduce the stigma about it. There's been a lot of players who have come out recently uh, speaking about mental health issues that they've been suffering with. And um, we wanted to raise that topic on this podcast, given all the tragic things that have happened over the weekend. We wanted to focus really on how important it is to raise topics of mental health and how important it is to talk about things when you're struggling, when you're going through them. And the first case study, really inspiring example of someone who's spoken out on that for me at the minute is uh, Jilly Flaherty, who spoke really powerfully about uh, her own struggles in the past, I think it's nine years ago, she tried to take her own life as a teenager in the Arsenal Academy. And she now obviously is the West Ham captain. You don't think someone like that would be going through something as traumatic as she was inside. She's obviously a tough-as-nail style centre-back, old-fashioned, loves to tackle. And you think of her as being someone as hard as nails, but she was going through something that was really troubling her on the inside and it's it's amazing that she's come out the other side and she's so willing to talk about it. Yeah, it's really sobering to hear that story from Jilly and really brave of her to talk about it. I mean, a lot of players and a lot of people won't have known that that's happened to her and she must have been worried about how that would change people's perception of her. But I think what's really brave is the reason why she said she 
she sort of said she would do it and then changed her mind. And then the reason why she finally decided to do it was because she saw posts about other people who had taken their lives and she thought maybe if I come out and people start talking about it, it might it might inspire people. And there have been a number of people in the women's game who've who've come out and talk about it. Um, Emma Mitchell, about how she was suffering with depression. And Fran Kirby has also been quite vocal about trying to get people to talk about mental health issues after she suffered from depression following the death of her of her mother. I think it's a really powerful message that these people are putting forward and it's really good to see them using, you know, they recognise that they are role models for people and that as the women's game is growing, more people are looking up to them and it's very important they're talking about it. Definitely, and the fact that so many of them are coming out as well is really important because it's it suggests that it's a normal thing. It's something that lots of people are going through. I'd hazard a guess to go that almost everyone has struggled with their mental health at some point in their life. And the fact that these inspirational characters who are at the peak of their game, you'd think that they are living, they're living their dream. They're professional footballers. They're doing what every kid who's ever kicked a ball around in the park has wanted to do. They're being paid to play football. And yet the fact that they even are still struggling with problems with their mental health, it really does bring to light the fact that it's something that needs to be normalised and there is a stigma around it that still exists and will exist for a long time unless we start these conversations about it and it's really inspiring. Also, the fact that there's so many of them talking about it shows that no two cases are the same. So you've got, obviously, Jilly Fatty who had her own circumstances. Emma Mitchell has always suffered with mental health but then the sort of the disappointment of being left out of the Scotland squad, that would have contributed to it even more. Fran Kirby lost her mother very young. That won't have helped. She's obviously going through a tough time with her heart condition at the minute as well. And then you look at someone like Renee Hector, who was at Charlton. She's openly spoken about how she slipped into a a dark place when it came to her struggles with depression after all the things that went on with her racism charge in the um, in the championship, in the women's championship, when she was racially abused and the backlash that came her way, mostly over social media. And it also... Like I, I mentioned um, the stuff that went on over the weekend, so the death of Caroline Flack, which was obviously tragic aside from football. And it's interesting that social media has played such a huge role within uh, causing so many problems with mental health these days, especially with our generation. We're fully aware of the pitfalls of social media, but when it comes to women's sport, it's quite interesting that it's not something that you can just walk away from. You can't just turn it off in the way that you probably could if you were at a higher profile, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think it's really difficult for the female players because obviously they're trying to grow the game, they're trying to be more visible. So they want to publicise themselves on social media and they want to get the word out about what they're doing. But obviously social media is a huge vehicle for people being abusive towards people. And I think also a lot of the women's players won't be used to that. Kira Walsh after the World Cup actually questioned whether she wanted to play football anymore because she just that amount of criticism she she'd never had before. You know, you have people like Casey Stoney saying, "Yes, the women's game needs criticism. We need people to engage with it a bit better and you know, if you're getting more people to engage, you will get criticism." But there's a difference between criticism and abuse. And I think 
I mean, clubs are trying to prepare the players for it. Manchester United actually have quite a good scheme. So they have um, an external well-being coach who actually comes to the club every day. And then they have a one-on-one every six weeks with each of the players about how they're feeling. And they also had someone in to talk about social media to the players. Everton and Liverpool have have other solutions that they've tried to develop. So I think it is something that clubs are focusing on, but it is a real problem. Like they can't switch off because they want to promote the game, but they, you know, they shouldn't have to be subject to comments like that. Definitely. I mean, the whole culture of online abuse, the whole trolling culture that is so common on social media today isn't something that we're going to be able to sort of deal with or come up with a solution for on a small scale women's football podcast. But it's something that we can definitely acknowledge and say to our listeners, you know, if you're thinking of, writing a critical message on social media if you're thinking of directly criticizing a player which is something that you wouldn't say to their face just just take a second and think about what you're writing and think about what effect it will have on them because while it might seem funny at the time and it might even be innocent or sincere criticism that could be well founded it's always a good idea just to think about how you're addressing your criticism and how you're addressing what I mean, I suppose there's no other word to use other than abuse. And most of the Woso hashtag and most of the stuff going on around social media with women's football is so positive and so upbeat and so fantastic, which is one of the the best things I've noticed since I've started paying more attention to women's football through this podcast and after the Women's World Cup. So for every nine in 10 positive posts, there'll be one negative, ignorant, sort of casually stereotyped post from some idiot who is not happy with what they're doing so they want to mix it up a bit more and just say horrible things to other people and the way they feel they need to do that is through social media and that is what takes us all back a step and it makes people question whether they want to use something which can be such a vehicle for good. Yeah and I think also with social media because it's all on your phone it's very easy to just think this is one bubble that you're in and it's all very personal and it's really hard I I can imagine I mean I can only speak from my own experience but and I don't have that many followers on Twitter so not (laughs) that many people engage but I think you know it's so easy to think you're in that bubble and that's your kind of world and to step out of it and to ask for help from someone outside it because it's just you and your phone I think what the campaign is really trying to do is just to get people to talk to someone anyone it could literally be anyone but just mentioning you know something's happened and you never know that might that might give you perspective that might help you in some way so if if you're going through that then if you can it takes courage but if you can talk to someone mental health is a big taboo subject in society and another taboo subject which has come up this week in the women's game is the menstrual cycle so Chelsea are the first football club in the world to tailor their training around menstrual cycles so what they have is they have an app called fit our woman and they program what part of the menstrual cycle they're in and then the coaches have access to this and it's actually really interesting there's loads of stuff I I didn't realize there are different stages of the menstrual cycle and at those different stages you can be more prone to risk your reaction times can be down so in the first and second stage you have a higher 
injury risk, and that's actually been associated potentially with ACL injuries and women being more prone to them. Also in the first section, uh, your reaction times can be down. In the third section, you can have cravings. So that can mean your your weight can fluctuate because you just want to eat crisps and chocolate all the time. So the fact that the coaches have access to this data means that they can change the way the women train and they'll know if a player's having an off day, they might know why. And the players also don't have to have that conversation with coaches every single day to say, hey, I'm on this part of my period. Because that's like, it's it's a personal thing to talk about, isn't it? And we were talking earlier a bit about how that must feel for men, male coaches who have to, to deal with that. I mean, Kyrie, if you were a male coach at Chelsea, what would your first reaction be? I would never coach at Chelsea. Just to clarify that. Oh yeah, Arsenal fan. But um, I, I don't really know what I'd do. Um, I'd probably do all I could to try and be supportive. Um, it would all just be a. It would. It would. It would be awkward just purely for the fact that I know so little about it. It's something that's never happened to me, unsurprisingly. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't really know what to do. I'd try and support as much as possible, but yeah, I'd have to ask for advice. I wouldn't be able to respond immediately. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I mean, I think personally that's brilliant that it's kind of educating men about it and it's also tailoring training to the way women's bodies are because then they're, they're not the same as men and it does really affect performance. I think it's interesting, Emma Hayes said she decided she wanted to do it when they lost the 2016 FA Cup final to Arsenal because a lot of their players were on their period at that time or at a certain stage in the menstrual cycle. And she noticed that their reaction times were off. So she thought, right, maybe this is something I need to do. I think, you know, it's a real factor that's out there. And it's it's good that, that teams are, are focusing on it. Bristol City are also looking into it um, just to kind of see when players are more injury prone and if they need to change their training that they're doing at that time. So for me, that's a really, really positive thing. Yeah, sport at the elite level is all about these fine margins and all these minuscule little gains that you can make so any sort of thing that Emma Hayes or anyone else feels is going to benefit their team then I'm all for it go for it why not yeah it's exciting we'll see what happens we know what's going to happen though in the WSL this weekend that's a bit more tangible weather permitting Weather permitting, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arsenal will be playing their rearranged FA Cup tie instead of their WSL game. They'll be against Lewis. And it's the big man City, Chelsea. It's the last big WSL top of the table clash of the season. Um, Everton are... Sorry. Everton are going to play Manchester United. This will be the first game at their new ground, Walton Hall Park. The attendance will be capped at 1,500 because they're continuing work on the stadium. But that will be an interesting battle for the best of the rest outside the top three. And if you want to get in touch with us before that on social media, feel free to do so on Twitter or Instagram. We are at football51pod. That is at uh, football, spelled with capital F, pod with a capital P, and the numbers 5 and 1 for 51. And don't forget to tune in next week.